to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Stand with me. We're going to re- read out of Matthew. And I think it's up beyond us, but it's a long passage, so I'm actually just going to read a few selections. So you can just follow along with me. And this is a passage where Jesus gives pretty clear instructions to his disciples on what it looks like to follow him. He's going to be leaving soon. He's about ready to go through what we just celebrated with Easter. And he kind of gets gets real with his disciples. He takes off any kind of um, ideas that they might be playing with, and he just he levels with them. And so we read in chapter 10, and he called his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jumping ahead to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Later on, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Later on, and do not fear those who kill the body, but not cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. And lastly, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You can be have a seat. This morning I'm going to talk from my story, but also from this passage, about what it looks like to move from fear to faith. I could stop right after that worship set that we had. It was a sermon of itself, talking about how Christ has overcome this fear. But I think for a lot of us, we are bound by fear. And I think we have to address the question, how do you live from living in some state of fear? preoccupation, worry, concern to a life that looks like what the disciples would experience where you're living in absolute dependence and faith in Jesus Christ. 
I think this is the question that a lot of us have to address. I think for a lot of us in this room, we want to go there. We want to follow Jesus. We see what he's doing. But then we look at our situation. We look at what we're dealing with on a daily basis. And we experience fear. See, I, I about 10 years ago, didn't think I was living in much fear. was working a job, had a really good job. And we were living in uh, Valencia, California. Um, we had three children, one on the way. And we had just purchased a home um, at a wonderful church. We're part of a church group. Had a lot of great guy friends. Used to have wonderful times in the backyard around the barbecue, having a beer or two and talking theology. It was fantastic. Um, loved it. But there was this nine in my spirit that Jesus was calling me to something more. There was something that I was feeling that I've got everything that culture and the world says I need. I even got a great church. I love God. But what is this something that's in me? I remember even reading this passage and it's starting to trouble me because this was the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. And I started to look at the projection my life was on and it was not seeming to measure up with this calling that he had on the disciples. And it wasn't guilt. It wasn't it wasn't anything overly negative. It was this stirring, this hunger. So I was involved with the ministry, and I was starting to donate money to it. As we started to make money, we started giving it away, and that was good. So I went to visit it down in El Salvador. And I saw these pastors and these leaders in these churches, where this would be a mega church, because the churches down there at 10, 15, 20 people. And I met pastors and leaders who were living this example out much more than I had experienced. I started seeing pastors and leaders. We later called them crazy pastors because they would work a job, work two jobs, and then they would go and they would minister, not because of what it afforded them, but because they had this joy in them, this passion in them, this shine about them that glowed through the dirt and the crime and the poverty and everything that I saw. And I, was, and I struggled being in Valencia, California, which is fantastic, which is great. We had our sidewalks, the most manicured sidewalks on the way to Starbucks with our perfect stroller. It's fantastic. But I was experiencing something with these pastors and I started feeling like, I want that. I want to experience that. I've read about it in Scripture. I want that. And so, I went down and I uh, went down again. This time, God started talking to me. If you tell God you want something, be ready to listen. I'm serious about that. Because He will begin to speak to you very specifically. 
And it may not be El Salvador. Most likely it won't be. But it's going to be something that immediately requires faith. And it's going to be something that immediately hits your fear points. You want to know what you're afraid of. Ask God what he's calling you to. On the way home today. And by the time you get home, you might circle the neighborhood. Now want to park. Because, see, I asked, okay, I want to be a part of this. And he started saying, okay, I'll let you in. See, it's an invitation to be a part of something fantastic. I want it in. Okay, I want in. Okay, then move to El Salvador. What? And it became clear. Over six months, being praying, just there was this one part of me that desired it. I wanted to. But then immediately, all the fear began to come up. And I started to identify with what I thought the disciples must have felt when Jesus started to talk to them about what life following him would look like. And there was three fears that I had. And I'm sure a lot of us share the same ones. The first was immediately over my family. I had three young kids. Found out we had another one coming. Four kids. You don't tell your parents that after four kids, you're selling everything and moving to El Salvador. Let alone your in-laws. Is my mother-in-law here? <laughs> the second was finances. Immediately. I was doing well. I was in my late 20s running a division of a company. We just bought a house. Lived in suburban L.A. Our kids were going to be in a great school district. We were part of a good church. Great company. This was not like a bad company. It was a fantastic company. Tight with the owners. They were Christians. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm supposed to just let that go. All right. Then the, the third F, my future. You know, ambitious. The world's ahead of me. I have this idea for what life should look like. We, you know, we're lied to in culture. We're lied to believe that you can project what life is supposed to look like for you. We have little snippets. But we think we can actually control our future. So those fears grip me. And I remember reading this passage. And Jesus doesn't go to his disciples. Pobrecito, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It's not going to be too bad. No, he goes, you know what? Because of me and my overwhelming love that I am bringing into the world that is so different than anything they experienced, they're going to hate me, and because of that, they're going to hate you. In that passage, we missed it. It said, no servant is greater than his master. He said, if my example was to suffer and then to hang on a tree, how do you expect to live any differently? How do you expect to follow me? 
if this is the example I'm laying in front of you. Yes, they're going to do this. Yes, it's going to be hard. But you see, what's amazing about this is that I can imagine the disciples being with Jesus when he was saying this. And he could look at them. And with this look, they experienced love like they had never touched. See, the disciples savored every moment they had with Jesus. They were like little puppy dogs chasing Jesus everywhere he went. I mean, read through the Gospels. It's like the Pied Piper. Jesus would start running because they wanted to be with them. And because they wanted to be with them, they experienced being fully alive with Jesus. Pastor Darren's going to start a series next week on being fully alive. And they had a chance to be fully alive with Jesus. You see, if you're taking notes, the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to experience His unmatched love and to see that love do radical things in the lives around us. It's an invitation to see His power move into the worst of situations and redeem them. And it's intoxicating. It's overwhelming. When you touch it, taste it, experience it, there's nothing like it in the world. But it's an invitation. So after three nights on a mission trip, I was down, second time down. The rain was pounding. This little town called Avalinas. And I heard just this conversation I was having with God. And it just felt this question come up, do you trust me? And it was this direct question of, do you trust me? And I had to say, no, I don't. I can't fully trust you. Now, I had walked with God almost my entire life. And he was asking me this question, and I said, no, I couldn't. And so I wrestled. How do I trust you with my family that's so young? How do I trust you with my finances? How do I trust you with my future? So after I wrestled with him, I finally made a decision. And that's what we have to do. I believe that's what the disciples did. And I just said, Lord, I don't trust you, but I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to take that step. And so I made that decision. And what I've learned over the years is what is the best antidote for fear is just raw obedience to Jesus. If you're afraid today, obey. Do what he says. And there's a peace that will come in your life. So, made the decision. Came back and gave notice to the company. We didn't have, I didn't even know, I mean, grew up in the church, but how do you go on the mission field, especially with four kids? People think it's cute when you're a couple, but when you have four kids, they go, really? (laughs) So, we made the decision. Long, longer story. We end up, after a year, God had provided all of the income, everything we needed. 
The company got behind us. Our church got behind us. We didn't have to do a sales job on anybody. God just opened the doors, and we got down to El Salvador. And it was exhilarating. That first year was so filled with peace because we had taken that step of obedience. And we got down to El Salvador, and my last name is DeSoto, but that's about all the Spanish I knew at the time. And so people would see my skin color and start speaking to me in Spanish. They were a lot more gracious than my wife with blonde hair and green eyes. But we learned and we acclimated rough first year. Rough first year. Lots of trials. El Salvador is a violent country. So robberies and just you name it. But after about a year, we were starting to get our stride. We were starting to feel like, wow, this whole trust thing really works. <laughs> and then we were going up to a community. And it was a clinic that this um, the company I was working with had actually donated uh, money to be able to build this clinic. So I was going up to check on the construction, take some pictures, video. Went up there. <clears throat> and on the way back down, I was driving with our team. And if, if you've seen El Salvador, it's got 21 volcanoes. It's this tiny country, very mountainous, beautiful country. But we were up in the hills um, probably about four hours out of the city. And you just have to take a 4x4 four four car, and you're going up past rivers and up in this really remote village. That's actually why we had the clinic there. So on the way back, I was driving, and we slowed in to a corner. And out of the, the left side, this guy in a ski mask jumps out right at me. He pulls a gun, he's screaming, puts it in my head, and just starts shooting. And he hits me right here in the neck. The bullet pierced into my body. I've got this team with me. My head goes down. I hit the steering wheel, and all of a sudden, everything that I had read in Scripture, everything I had, I had worked towards seemed to be coming to this, this end. And so we got out of the car. We had a volunteer with us. She pulled us out of the car. I was sitting on the side of the road. We heard other gunshots being shot. It was an ambush, and for some reason... We still don't know to this day. They were literally just trying to kill me. And I'm sitting on the side of the road, barely catching my breath, <clears throat> trying to go to get air. I go down on my knees, and I just start praying. And I'll tell you what, it was the most peaceful moment of my life. In the midst of this scene, I'm sitting there, Going, Lord, I'm good. I felt physical pain, emotional trauma, but there was this peace that was around me. And I remember I felt mournful over my wife, which she would lose. I felt mournful over my kids, that they wouldn't go without a dad. All those thoughts were going through my mind. I started feeling extremely happy that I had bought life assurance the year before. I actually thought that. 
So any life insurance salesman in here, you could set up a card after, booth after, might get a few clients. Um, so, but the thought hit me, I'm not dead. <laughs> and the bullet had passed in and was still in my neck. So I cover my neck, they get me back in the car, and we start taking off down the road. Now this road, I say that loosely, it was more kind of this cut path that we had to cross. So we crossed, and, and about 45 minutes that we did in about 20 minutes flat. Find out later, the guy that we have driving the car is blind in one eye, which would have been good to know before we went down there that the guy riding shotgun should have two eyes, right? He had a glass eye, I didn't know. Um, we, we get out, get to the main road, and God starts giving me this huge amount of presence where I start feeling him with me. And when I was driving up the road, that Psalms 23 became so evident. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And that's the clause. Peter sung it. For I am with you. And as the doctor that by the grace of God was with us when we went up there, reached her arm around me and kept talking to me, covering my, my throat so I wouldn't bleed to death, it was as if Jesus himself was holding me. And I felt his presence, and I loved it. And I basked in it. So we get up out of the road. We head up into a clinic. This clinic, I call it a clinic again loosely. It was more like a morgue. And they, they wheel me in. <clears throat> and as they wheel me in, all the doctors start looking at me. I look at their faces, and I know they're thinking, this guy's gone. So they wheel me into the corner. Well, first they go to give me x-rays. They made me stand up, um, walk across the room, and then arch my neck up against this panel while I'm holding this, choking, getting my mug shot taken, and then do a number of other procedures. I think they were trying to kill me. Put me back on the stretcher, get me into the room, and then they send the nun in. So the nun comes in, starts... Um, like like uh, witnessing to me, which was pretty cool at first. I'm like, oh, cool. She knows about God. I know about God. That's cool. Then I realized she thinks I'm dying. So she wants to make sure that I'm good. So I also <clears throat> had to direct traffic. I had to give everyone instructions. So here I am. I've got this hand on my throat. And I literally feel the Holy Spirit with me. And so I start telling people what to do. They wanted to take me to a hospital. I knew I'd die in that hospital. I said, nope, give me back to San Salvador. I said, call this person at the embassy. I said, call this guy and tell him to go tell Dara. Once I heard that Dara had found out, I said, call back to my pastor back home. They called back to my pastor at home. Within an hour and a half, 19 countries were praying for me. The guy that was on L.A., like Kiki L.A. or whatever, I think it was Frank Pastore. It was. It was Frank. And he just passed away. He asked everybody to pull over to the side of the road and start praying for me. 
There were people all over L.A. praying for me. And God just continued to lead me step by step. So it took about three hours to get a helicopter to come in. It was one of those old hooey's that the U.S. had donated. So they shoved me into this tiny ambulance, slam the door. It knocks my feet. They make their way to the place where the Huey's going to pick me up. And the only place they could find was a high-security prison that had been shut down because of riots. And so they're on, they had to lock everyone down. And it was family visitor day. So they had to clear the families out so they could land the Huey. They came in the Huey. They start taking off. They belt everybody down except for me. So they start taking off. And if you've seen, like, MASH or whatever, they, you know, they take off and they start going sideways, right? So they start going sideways. I start slipping. And I'm looking almost down. feeling like, come on, God. You got me this far. And I'm going to, like, fall into some poor lady's garden. And that's, that's how I'm going to die. Not, you're getting shot and dead. That's valiant. Falling out of a Huey? That's comical, right? <laughs> so we, we get in. We land during this time. Um, my friend who ran the org had to go over and tell Tara. And that was, that to me was haunting me more than anything. How was my wife going to deal with this? She didn't know. And so Jesus had been telling Dara all day long. Every time she got up to do all the hard work that she always did in the house and to serve our family, God would tell her, sit down, pray for your husband. Sit down, pray for your husband. So from like 8.30 in the morning to like 2 when she found out, she had literally been praying for me the entire day. So he comes, his name is Ron, knocked on the door, opens it up, and Dara says, Ron, I know something's happened to beat. Let's pray. And they prayed for half an hour before she even got the news that I had been shot. See, when God is in your midst, He is transcending barriers. He's transcending communication. He is the one moving through His Spirit. And so, Dara <clears throat> learned about it and got our kids situated. Helicopter lands, gets us into the hospital. It's now five hours later. I'm still holding my the hole in my throat and uh, get into the hospital. They wheel me in and I come in <clears throat> and in the lobby there was a host of people that were there from the churches that we had served even just in one year. And all of a sudden I had seen what God had done in just one short year through His church. And they were praying over us and coming alongside us. So they wheel us in found out that the bullet when it entered, had missed, there's like 60-something um, vital veins and different things going on in your neck. If any of them, you're gone. It missed all of them. It missed my trachea by a centimeter, and it missed my jugular by a centimeter because I had just hunched up like this. And just the way I was turning my neck, the bullet pierced in and stuck into my esophagus. And even the caliber bullet, the, the way it was supposed to supposed to bounce all around once it entered the wound, but it, but it didn't. It just stuck.
And so it was an absolute miracle. The doctors didn't know what to, to think of it. So they go in to do the surgery. And just for the cherry on the top of the Sunday, we have a 6.2 earthquake. Dead serious. The whole place starts shaking. Shelves start falling. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but then, after an hour of surgery, they took out the bullet. And outside of some infection stuff, they had to help. Two weeks later, I walked out absolutely clean. And the Lord just completely had healed and saved me. Find out that... um find out later that the bullet when it went in, it singed my vocal cords. So, although I talked fine for about a month, um, found out after a month, this was like the cherry on top of the cherry. Um, a piece of my shirt had gone in with a bullet, so I couldn't breathe after about a month because it was covering up my my uh, windpipe, so I had to go and take that out too. And uh, but I just found that <clears throat> the way that you go from fear to faith is the presence of Jesus. Nothing else. It's not financial security. It's not a good job. It's not a good family. It's not a good church even. Those are all gifts. Do you realize that? Everything we get that's good is a gift that Jesus gives us. But it's not the essence of our faith. It can't be the essence of our faith. The only thing that can build faith and move us from fear is His presence. Because just like the disciples, His presence is what it's all about. Jesus is worth it. He's everything. If you don't get that, you've got to get that. It's all about being with Jesus. Knowing Him, loving Him, experiencing Him. Experience Him together as a church. Experience Him on your own. He's everything. That's why He came. So that we can know Him and that we could be with Him. I want to just kind of bring this <clears throat> to some application for us as a church. I, I already just love what God's doing here at the Garden and love this church. See, there's some passages that I think are helpful to us. And I like to take, kind of because that's not that smart, so I need to remember things like acrostics. Like those are the three F's. Fear over family. Finance is future. With His presence, we get three P's, I call them. The first one is that we can move from this fear of family or over family to having the privilege of being in his family. In Romans 8.15, it says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus radically took care of his own earthly family. Do you get that? If you study his life, for 30 years, Jesus worked his tail off 
to provide for his family. He was a mason worker. He worked hard. We see him on the cross, even when he's agonizing, instructing John to take care of his mom. Jesus cares for your family. Jesus cares for your children. Jesus cares for every relationship that you're in. And you see, we are badly mistaken and fooled if we think that we somehow, even a little bit, care more for our kids or our parents or our brothers or sisters, our neighbors, whoever, than Jesus does. The best thing you can do with your family is to so fall in love with Jesus that you take them to Him so that they may know Him. If there's anything you're doing out of fear to raise your family, to lead your family, anything, the way you parent, doesn't matter. In your marriage, if fear's in there, you actually are moving them away from Jesus. Secondly, finances. It's a big one. God can move you from the fear of finances to the abundance of His provision. It's not He can just give you enough. It's that He wants to destroy the entire way you look at your resources. He wants to completely screw it up. (laughs) Because culture has it so screwed up. Culture has it. I was with someone who was it? Someone a couple of days ago. And they were talking. They were sitting down with a financial planner, talking how they had to have like half a million dollars saved for their kid's wedding, and they had to have you know a million dollars saved for for uh, college because of the, the size of inflation and all this stuff. And I started sweating just listening to them because that's what culture is telling you. Every single day is save, save, secure, 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 secure. Be secure in your finances. And we try to somehow weave that in with faith where Jesus says this. This is his mouth. Matthew six thirty-one through 33. Therefore, don't be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? The Gentiles... Well, at that time, he's referring to people outside of faith. Seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we make that focus about righteousness and Christ, that anxiety can subside. You know, you interview people <clears throat> who are anxious over finances. Oftentimes, it's those who have the most money. You realize that. Sometimes it's those with the most money that are the most anxious over their finances. Anxiety of your finances comes when you are not in true obedience to following Jesus. Not simply out of line with His principles, but when you are not trusting Him with your entire life and fully desiring to be a part of what He has called you to do. And then lastly, this fear of the future. 
I think more than anything, that encapsulates what a lot of us feel. And it gets fed by information that is negative, either personal, global, local. What is things going to look like tomorrow? So how do I live in tomorrow? How do I prepare for tomorrow? When Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We've got no guarantees of what is ahead. But God sees it. You see, faith and trust is very simple. It's trusting in a person. You can't trust in a theology. You can't trust in principles, self-help practices. We as humans have been designed to trust others, individuals, persons. And the highest level of trust is to the person of Jesus Christ. I liken it to my oldest son. When he was about one years old, he used to play a game with him. And we'd get on the couch, and I'd freak my wife out. But I'd have him standing, and I would start, and I would just say, jump to me. And he would jump. And at first, I'd be right up against him. Then a little further out. Then a little further out. A little further out. And with every jump, he learned that I could call him out. And that as I called him out, that I would never drop him. I've never dropped him to this day. Thank God. He might tell you differently, but the way I remember it, I've never dropped him. And God, far greater is what God's calling you to. I would say that there's a lot of you in here that have some fear. In fact, I'd say there's a lot of you in here that relate to what I'm saying when I talk about wanting to go there. Wanting to follow Jesus. Wanting to do what He's calling you to do. Wanting to taste the joy that comes in fully following Him. Seeing in others and just saying, but I can't let go of this and fill in the blank. And it might not be your family. It might not be finances. It might not be the future, but it's something. I encourage you this morning that if you want to truly be able to walk through trial with faith, that it is very helpful to trust Him through obedience first. Because, see, God is so loving that He might use trial to teach you faith. And He often does that. And it's out of His love. But, man, it's so much better when you do it because He's called you to do something and you will pay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you first and foremost for my salvation, for saving me, this wretched soul that you have reclaimed, renewed, restored, and saved, both in my soul and in my body. I just thank you. And Lord, I just thank you for this church, this body of believers that are congregating. And God, I just ask over all of us that, Lord, we would um, identify the fear that's in us and then be courageous enough to take those steps, whatever they may be. You may be calling us to confront sin. 
It might be calling us to move forward in a relationship. For some of us to break out of an unhealthy relationship. To move forward in service or in calling or vocation. It runs the gamut. Whatever it is, it will require us to overcome the fear so that we can act in faith and truly trust you. So please, God, do that move in our hearts, even this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.